The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 112. Story at the end of it is Three Sacred Truths from 25 Perfect Days plus five more. But more importantly, I have a very special guest with us today. My buddy from shit, seventh grade, eighth grade, seventh grade, I think, uh, seventh yeah. grade, Muscatel, yeah, and then a little bit of high school because you went to Bishop Vermont, yeah, and then it was we had a mutual friend, Rich King, that's right, um, and we did, we did some training together, and uh, I played football with Rich, and then but then you like I said you moved on to you know bigger better things, and then we kind of were separated for a while, but. We yep. got reacquainted. Thank God to Facebook and everything, and seeing old friends. We got reacquainted. Yeah, no, I, dude, I, that Facebook is awesome. Uh, but Chris Zanderholm didn't yes. didn't 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 say my name. It's okay. It's okay. Now, Chris, thanks for coming on. The reason I wanted to have you on is because of stuff that I saw on uh, Facebook. Uh, and, and that's one thing. I always talk shit about Facebook, how much I hate it. Yeah. Uh, I know I do too, in a way. It, it, there's there's positives and negatives to social media. Um, I think there's more negative things. But if you know how to use the positive things in the right way, I think it, it's a killer tool for certain things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, dude, I... I I pretty much put my stuff out there and then all browse through maybe like five or ten minutes. And that, but that's when I saw your post. That's when I saw your post before you had come over. You did yoga with uh, me and uh, Anthony yes. Johnson. Yes. Uh, which was cool. Uh, but I saw a recent post about um, a feature that you're trying to be in for uh, muscle and fitness magazine. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was super cool. So I want to talk about that. But first, I want to talk about uh, just. One of the things that super impresses me about you is how much shit you've been through and that you are not only still, not only still, you know, getting through your day, like you are. And it's you, a daily struggle. Every day is a new day. Every day is a daily struggle. You know, yeah. every day, there's nothing, nothing's really consistent. Every day could be different. It depends on my pain level. It depends on how I'm feeling. You know, it's tough. And, but <laughs> so, so even with that in mind, you're still like you were talking like the last four months or so you said are just been awesome you were hitting all your goals you're doing stuff that you probably didn't think you would be doing yeah so uh let, let, let's go back when did your health problems first start i'll tell you i was i was uh i moved back to i went from orange county i moved back to san Gabriel valley to take care of my mom helping her out her husband passed away and uh, so I was living with my mom, and uh, this is like your twenties. This is or? yeah, no, this is in the thirties. This is like two thousand five, two thousand six. Okay, okay. Then uh, I got a job. I was working for the movie studios. Um, I was a teamster. Um, I loved that job, but at that time, uh, the company, well, the, everything was leaving California because of the tax incentives all the other states were giving to film movies there mm. in Canada and other places. So. Hollywood left and then my seniority was low. So what happened was I, I, I wasn't working enough. So I got a job as a bartender mm-hmm. at a local restaurant in South Pasadena and uh, bartending, just doing my thing, you know, but I was, you know what, I wasn't happy, man. You know, uh, I was drinking a lot, going out partying, drinking a lot, not healthy, wasn't working out anymore. I used to work out all the time when I was younger. I was really big on fitness and, you know, I played football 
and uh, I was into bodybuilding and powerlifting, and I was that was my that was my my love that that was mm-hmm. my dream, you know that was my go to, you know. But I let that go, you know. I went out doing doing dumb stuff, you know. I was hanging out, drink like I said, drinking and partying, and and those things you do all the time tends to you, you tend to forget all the other stuff, mm-hmm. and that's your new life. And that was like that for a long time. And then not being happy, so I was bartending, but I was drinking a lot, you know. And and what happened was, all of a sudden, I had a, 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 a what's it called, a hernia. Was, I don't know if I was picking up a keg in the back room or whatever. I had a hernia, so I had to have that fixed. So I went to have that fixed. After I had that fixed, like a couple of days later, I was walking, I went outside to walk, and a little lip. I was, I was like walking funny. I was like, hmm. I go, man, my like my leg kind of hurts. You know, it's a kind of weird feeling. I never had I, I never had a feeling like this before. So I let it go. I just you know how men are. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna. It's okay. We'll I'll power through it. I'll work through it. You know. Hey, work through it. Yeah, whatever. So a couple weeks later, it was I was getting worse and worse. Then um, the job I was working at the bar the restaurant sold. Okay. So, um, I w- it was going to be like three months before I could even go back if if I would go back because new owners usually tend to hire new people all the time. So, I was out. Of, I wasn't working, and then like I said, with the studios was so slow. I was like, oh, what the hell's going on? But then also I was limping. And it was worse and worse. Before you know it, I was on. I had to get a cane. Wow. I'm like, man, this is weird. You know, I go. It's just maybe just me getting older. This is. I was in my thirties, right? Mm. And I'm like. I can't be, I'm not that old, you know. Before you know it, like three weeks later, I was on crutches. I had to go wow. buy a pair of crutches. And I'm like, what is going on? And saying the, the thing I was saying is that my insurance lapsed from, from the movie studios. Mm-hmm. You have to work a certain amount of hours every six months to get like six months with their insurance. Okay. So I didn't have insurance. So I was like, oh, I got to go to the doctor. I go, oh, man. So I went to my doctor. They wanted to send me to x-rays, but it was like... CT expensive. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I'll just, I'll, I'll pull through. Nah. So it got to the point where I was sitting at home. I couldn't get out of my chair. And the pain was so intense. I was like almost screaming. Wow. So I had to have my mother take me to the, to the emergency room. They took me to the emergency room. They could barely get me in the, in the building. And they got me on the bed and they moved my leg around. I was screaming. So they did these x-rays. So the, they sent me to USC. So I was at USC for like two weeks. They did a test and they found an infection. What happened was I caught from the from the hernia surgery, I caught a, a bacteria, I caught an oh, infection. Wow. It wasn't MRSA, it wasn't staph, something else they said, they explained it, it was, it's this virus that, or this bacteria that will travel through your bloodstream and it'll find a spot in your body and then it'll, it'll manifest, it'll sit there and grow. Wow. So what happened was I found a spot in my pelvis and my hip mm. so it sat there and that's what was making me limp it's because the pain it was getting worse and worse so they found the infection so they said they had to cut me open to drain this infection mm. so they did it put me cut me open drain the infection mind you i was already in the hospital for almost three weeks wow okay then they they, they drained this they sent me to rehab so i'm in therapy i'm doing you know, walking da, da, da. but i'm not getting any better and it, the pain was getting worse. And then one morning I woke up to go to the bathroom at, in the hospital. I get up, I 
walk with the lap of walker to go to the bathroom. I am just like excruciating. I, I couldn't figure out what's going on. So I get back to the bed. I get in bed. I look. My leg was three inches shorter than my, wow. my right leg was three inches shorter than my left. And I'm like, wow, that's not right. That's not good. So, and the pain was just phenomenal. So they did this, it's called nuclear medicine. They did this test where they put this dye, dye in your bloodstream and the screen could find it and want to see blood flow. They want to see what's going on. And this, this, this fluid will find where the infection is or find where mm -hmm. it's going on. So it found where it was at. So they did another x-ray and my leg literally came through my hip and pelvis and came out here. Wow. So the ball, so the socket, the ball of my femur was sitting out here. So they're like, we have to send you back. We got to go. We have to send you back right away. So they sent me back to emergency at USC. They go, they're like, we got some bad news for you, man. Uh, your leg is, the infection is literally ate through my leg and my hip. They said, it looks like you're going to lose your leg. Wow. So just think of that, man. It, just getting that news. Yeah. And then you're already sick in the hospital. I was like, now I'm in the hospital like a month and a half now. And and what was going on? You didn't have insurance? So no. what was happening? Like how much was this They cost? sent me to county. Oh, okay. So I had, to go, I had to go to county. I had okay. to. It, it was something that I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do. I had no other choice. And I don't mind county, but the thing is it's, it's a teaching hospital. Right. So you're going to get students. But there are always, a, you know, the, the, the doctors always, there's always a person there that's overseeing everything. So I'm not blaming them or anything, but um, they couldn't catch, the, they, they should have caught the infection sooner. Yeah. Especially when they already cut me open and drained it. They didn't, anyways, they cut me, they had to cut me open again before they told me the news about my leg. They cut me open and they said my bone was like mush. It was like. It could, it could almost flick it. It was wow. just literally disintegrated. It's destroyed. So they said, you're going to lose your leg. Or they go, we have three options. You're going to lose your leg. If we don't, if we can't save enough bone. If we if we save enough bone, maybe we'd be able to fuse your femur to your hip. Okay. And that was the other option. I go, well, that means I'm going to have to be straight for the right. rest of my life. I'm no more bending, no more sitting down in a chair because you're fused. So I was like, that's not an option. I'd rather lose my, in a way, it sounds morbid, but I'd rather lose my leg. I, right. could, get, I could be able, at least be able to get around and do things mobile. And the third option, the doctor goes, hey, uh, if we save enough bone in your femur, we could rebuild you. We could rebuild you. And I just prayed to the doctor. I was like, please, doctor, just try to save enough bone. Oh, please, I was like, God, just save me enough bone so, I could, so this could happen. So went into surgery. Nine-hour surgery to cut all. They had to remove all the bone. It was diseased from my hip and pelvis and my almost my whole femur. Wow! So I only got to save about a couple inches of my femur left, mm. but it was enough. So the doctor goes after I came out of surgery. He goes, you know what? We saved enough bone that we could rebuild you. But they, they did a procedure called the girdle, girdle stone procedure. What it is is they put an antibiotic spacer in, in your leg to keep it separated um, while you're waiting to get. Your re get to get rebuilt now, mind you, they told me I had to wait a year wow. to make sure I had no infection. That had because you can't do anything yet to make sure my body's full infection free. Then it took another year to make the titanium part for me wow. because it was built for me. So 
I was in two years. I was okay. I'll tell you that I was in the hospital for a total of six months. Dude. Then it, it, I was so sick from the infection and the medications that they had me on. I, they had to put me in an induced coma. So I was in a coma in the hospital for quite a bit of time. I remember waking up. I had long hair. My hair was longer. I had a beard. Like I was like, what's going on, man? I go, I was in a different part of the hospital. They had these electrodes in my head to measure my brainwaves because they said I almost went through, it's called like a psychotic uh, embolism or, or something like that effect. I was going to lose, my brain was, was, was going nuts because mm-hmm. of all the medications and stuff. So they had to let my body heal. Mm-hmm. So they put me in a coma. Wow. So total six months, get out of the hospital. I have no bones in my hip, pelvis, and almost my whole femur. And right. it had, I had to keep it like that for two years. So I was on a, I was on a wheel in a wheelchair and uh, crutches. So you could actually move my leg, wow. like this. It was the weirdest thing, Mark. Talk about depression. Talk about going. Where am I going with this? And I'm in my 30s, you know. And I'm like, my rest of my, what is going on? You know, I, man, talk. I was just in a bad spot with my life. Just, oh, just. Were you suicidal? You know, I, I wasn't suicidal, but you, I thought about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think everybody thinks about it one way or another. Not necessarily like going, oh, I'm going to kill me. But they go, man, you, you know, life would be, you know, what the hell? Life would be, right. you know, this is, this, I don't know if I could live the rest of my life like this. Because it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. If Because mm. I'm not thinking like like getting healthy again. I'm not thinking about exercise. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about tomorrow, right. the next day. And I'm not I'm thinking, oh, I, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I just go and have fun? Or can I go and do things? I wasn't thinking about my health. Mm-hmm. So I was in that mind frame. So that was the worst part about it. I should have been in a different mind frame, but I wasn't. And so two years, I had to be in traction at home. They had me on a contraption to keep my leg separated. Since they cut out so much bone and so much nerve that they cut out, they wanted to keep my leg stretched because... So when they rebuilt me, if it if it if it moved it too much, it couldn't be able to pull it back oh, and okay. get the the implant in. So they had me on this weighted lever to keep my leg pulled. Talk about excruciating, uh, and I had to be like on that all the time. And I was like, man, anything else could it get anything else could get to me? I don't know if it was God saying I'm testing you, you know, or see what. You know, it was it was just I, all these thoughts came into my head. Like, why me? Why did I? You know, bad luck. Why? Why? Why mm. me? Why me? Why me? Depression. Why me? So, two years of that, and then they finally rebuilt me. Best doctor in the world, Doctor Donald Longjohn at USC Keck School of Medicine. Him and Doctor Daniel Oaks fucking rebuilt me, man. So they got me in. It was a nine-hour surgery. Um, I had to be in the hospital for about two weeks, and I had to. Then it took me about three months to learn. Like you had to learn how to walk again. Mm. Um, it's not like you 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 don't know how to walk anymore, but you have to learn your gait. You have to learn it just because it's a new it's a new piece. And then when they rebuilt me, the stretching of it from being back to normal. Oh, the 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 pain, the ligaments being stretched, your plantar fascia because you haven't walked in two years, oh, right? Man. Really, so the plantar fasciitis. My feet wouldn't move right. My muscles, my tendons were like rock hard because it was so stretched. I, it was difficult. That was harder than maybe sometimes the two years that I dealt with that because mm. it, the therapy and everything was just difficult. So, again, two years. So, it was 2008 when I got sick. Okay. Yeah, it was the end of 2007 when I left the bar. It was the February of 2008. So, 
by the time I was done, it was August, I'll tell you the date, August 24, 2000, uh, 2010 is okay. when they rebuilt me. Um, I guess say that's my new birth date, I guess uh -huh. you would say. So they rebuilt me and all that therapy, about a year therapy. Mm -hmm. And I was back walking, but I was out of, like I said, I was out of shape. I wasn't healthy. I wasn't even thinking about exercise or anything like that. And so it was like 2013, all of a sudden, I'm losing all this weight. I'm, at, I'm working and I was eating like a ton of food and I was, I couldn't keep weight on. I was losing like to five to 10 pounds a week. Wow. So finally, I was down to like 140, I got down to 100, I was like, but to me, when you see yourself in the mirror every day, you don't really see the changes. Right. But everybody else is going, oh, you're, you're on drugs, you're, you must be on speed, or you're, something's wrong, something's wrong. You're, and they were telling me, you, you took your shirt off, you could see all the bones and everything. I was like, almost like anorexic, I didn't see it, mm. and I was so thin. So, come to find out that all the medications they had me in the hospital, um, Destroyed my pancreas. Wow. Destroyed a lot. You know, just just that is pretty much what happened. And then just with stomach problems. So they couldn't figure out why I was losing all the weight. So they sent me a specialist, the stomach doctor at Cedar sinai Dr. Simon Lowe, figured it out, saved me. They did a, it's called an ERCP test where they put a camera um, into your into your mouth, into your stomach, and they have a little clamp. So they could do, pol if they see polyps, they could oh, take okay. polyps off. They could see if anything on your pancreas. They could take it off. So they were testing, looking at my pancreas, and they said, your pancreas is destroyed because the medication just destroyed my, just destroyed it. So I have a disease called um, exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. It's uh, it's called EPI for short. And that's the disease. My pancreas doesn't produce the enzymes to take in nutrients from food. Mm. I could eat food and digest it, but I don't get anything from it. And I don't, my body doesn't process any of the nutrients that I need. So my body was constantly eating itself away. It was using my muscle as energy. Because wow. I was walking, I remember just being extremely fatigued and tired because my body's using muscle instead of normal food or mm. fat to, to, have, to have energy to do your daily, daily life. So it, it was the weirdest thing. So they diagnosed it, put me on this medication. I was on a feeding tube for a year and a half. Wow. A feeding tube. So I was at home, I had a feeding tube. Um, I'm sitting at home and I'm already went through all this stuff with my leg and I'm like, man, dude, another bad, because this is now this is a, this is from the medications they had me from the first surgery or from the first illness when I had. Mm. So it was like a, an ongoing thing, you know, that now I'm, now I'm, I'm, I'm getting the side effects from when I was in the hospital. So now I'm like, Dude, what is going on? So this is 2013, so I was on a feeding tube for a year and a half. Another bad luck. I'm mid, while I'm on this, I'm on this feeding tube, my house burns down. I was going to ask about that when that happened. I yeah. kind of remember that. Yeah, my house burned down from an electrical, from a portable heater. Wow. So house burns down. I'm in the hospital, living in a hotel. Now they finally sent us to a house in Sierra Madre so we could stay, because it took about two years, three years to rebuild the house. Because wow. you have to do all the permits, all that stuff. So I'm there, uh, all this stuff is happening, I'm on this feeding tube, and I'm like, man, I'm sick and tired of this. I gotta change my my life. I gotta go back to what I used to do. I go, I don't know, do I go back to, and mind you, I was saying before about, 
I was not in that mind frame of exercising. That was out of my head. I wasn't even thinking that. Mm. So a good friend of mine, um, it was now this is 2015, after I got better. So like I said, I had a feeding tube for a year and a half. So it was 2014, my house burned down. So it was like mid 2014, coming up to 2015, and I made the conscious choice. I go, you know what? I'm not. I'm going nowhere fast. I'm not. I'm now. I'm. I'm. I'm older. I go. What am I gonna do? I can't go back to my old jobs. I was let go as a teamster because of my disability. I can't drive trucks anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't do those heavy lifting anymore. I can't do those things. So I was like, What do I do? I'm like, you know what? I need to take care of me first. You know, I need. I'm just being sick and tired of being sick and tired. I go. I'm gonna go back to what I used to do. I need to get back into the gym and get healthy again. Oh boy, what a road that was. Um, my friend got me in. He goes, I'm going to get you in the gym. I got a membership. Let's get you back in the gym. So one day at a time, day one of one, just get the body working out again. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks later, it just took time. It took time. And then walking, you know, because after my surgery too, walking was so difficult. So I remember going to a flea market at the Pasadena City College. And I couldn't get from the parking lot to the middle of the of the campus where they had the flea market before getting winded and tired and sweating. Oh, wow. Because I was like, oh, I can't do this. It, it, this is ridiculous, you know? And I was like, that's not the way to be, you know? I, I go, I can't, be, I can't even walk that far. So I started walking again. It went from one, 10 feet, it went to 20 feet. It went from 20 feet to 40. It went from half a block to a block. I went to it from a block to a half a half a mile. Then I went half a mile to a mile. So mm-hmm. I was building it, it, and it took time. So 2015, I started working out again. I go, you know what? I want to help people. I go, I've been through a lot. I go, I think I could really help somebody. So I, I want to get back into the gym. I want to get back into. You know what? I'm gonna. I got to go back to school. I got to do something to where I have to, where I could use my brain and not my brawn or not my body. Cause I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I always depended on my brawn. I always depended on my body to do things. I could go, I could always get a job doing something, manual mm-hmm. labor, truck driving, all that stuff. I couldn't do those anymore. So I had, I had to take that option and go to school. I go, I'm going to go back to school. And I made the conscious decision. I go, you know what? I'm going to give it all my all. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm not going to really date anybody. I'm going to get strict. I'm going to call it a night early, stay home and study and take care of biz and that you know, that's what i did uh you know pcc is a great school because they, they had a good opportunities for if you're disabled you know they have accommodations for people who are disabled you could get your they, chairs and tables they pick you up in the car now mind you when um so i lost my insurance i had to pay that this new medication i was taking i uh it's expensive and so then I had insurance, then my insurance dropped. $1,500 a month just for one medication. Now you have to pay that? Yes, out of I pop? had to pay that. Wow. So 2016, my, I was having car troubles. You know what? I sold my car. Mm. It at least helped me to get through at least a couple months of, of medications I could buy for myself. Wow. You know? I go, I got to go back to school. I got to take care of business, but all these things were happening while I was going back. I started back at school, so I was like, "Man, I just can't catch a break." So I took the train to school. 
I, and then they, the good thing about school, they would pick you up in a van mm-hmm. from either the bus station or the train station and take you to school, take oh, you back, nice. which was really nice. That really helped me for the first two years of school. I, that's what I did, mm-hmm. you know. And it really made me who I am today in a way. It, it really taught me, you know, you could, when there's a will, there's a way. Right. You know, I think it was more like, a, like I said about, is God testing me? I think it was a big task too, in a way. I was like, can I do this? Can I do this? So slowly but surely, I started doing it, going to school, and then keeping up with my grades. Straight A student. Now, now I'm getting, I'm winning scholarships. I'm winning, I'm getting grant money, all this stuff. I'm winning all these scholarships. It's paying for my school. I'm actually like getting paid. I'm like, this is nice. I go, hard work does pay off, you know. So I just kept it going. I go, I'm gonna work hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm gonna finish school. That was my goal. I'm gonna go, you know what? I'm gonna finish school. I go, I wanna help people. So I wanted to either be wanted to be either a nutritionist or a dietitian in a hospital, um, personal trainer, or something in rehabilitation, uh, occupational therapy, physical therapy. Help I wanna help somebody get motivated to do what needs to be done, like I did. Mm-hmm. You know, and no one really helped me to get that motivation. To do things, I had to do it myself. As you know, like there's those five stages of, of, of acceptance. You know, like de- depression, anger, um, all the all the denial, things, denial yeah. acceptance. You know, I've been through all of it, and I was like, you know what? I got to take care of business. I want to help people because there's people out there. There we talked about suicidal. You know, mm-hmm. you asked me that question. There's people out there that actually have done it. Right. You know, they get in that position that I was in. You're like. Where do I go from here? And a lot of people don't have options, mm. you know. So I learned from trial and error that it can be done. So I always, I, you know, what I want to help people. So my, in a way, my, you can say my, my illness or my disability is what drives me now to do the things that I'm doing. So like I said, I went back to school, then I started training again, and then my muscle memory came in, and I started working on everything that I learned in school. I took into and I used it myself and I used myself as the guinea pig to see if all this stuff, because there's, there's, you could get an article or you could right. do research on all this other stuff. Someone says, this is the right way. No, this is the right way. No, this is the right way. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it myself and mm. see what's the right way and see what's really, you know, if it's true or not. So I just put everything that I learned into myself and that's what I did. So I started just eating really healthy, really clean, and the best thing about it was going to school. Education, I'm telling you, is the education is the best thing in the world. It really broadened my horizons like you wouldn't believe. So, I guess, but I said I had to go to a junior college because I had to start, start from all over again, mm. you know? So, that's what I did. And started training again, and then I started getting good at it. You know, I was doing the things that I was doing, and then people were asking me, hey, can you help me? You work, can you help me train? And I go, this is something I could do. You know, this is something I, I love to do. Mm-hmm. Is this something I could do and make some sort of, and I wasn't really worried about making a living. I, I didn't think about the money. What people do wrong is they always go, what's the job that I could make money in? Yeah. And they're not happy. You know, oh, I could do this. I don't really like it, but yeah. if it's making me money, I'm good. But yeah, they'll make the money at first, but they hate themselves going to work every day. Yep. So you got, and it's the truth. It might sound cliche, but you got to do what you love. If you do what you love, the money will come. I think you so. Know? So, and I love exercise. I love, like, helping people, like being a doctor. So I always wanted to, so I would either being a physical therapist or like a chiropractor or just something like an occupational therapy. I wanted to work with disabled people. 
mm-hmm. you know, because I'm disabled. But there's people who are a lot worse off than I am, right? You know, and and there's a lot of people that, like I said, don't have the option to talking to someone or or doing the things that I did. I don't have the motivation, the self motivation to do those things. So. I want to be there to help somebody if I can. I give them just a pointer. Give them a little advice of what to do or what not to do and get them back. Mm. And what really sold it to me, because now, I, I mean, I have to go in and have surgeries all the time. I have injections in my back. I had a, I had a spinal cord implant uh, put in. Um, that helped with pain. Mm. Um, but I had to have it removed because it got infected. So I, I, was, I, was, I had that surgery, and I, they had a hard time waking me up. I was like, man, did you, I'm just, I'm always like that, you know, like those nine lives, I already used up eight. Yeah. You know? I, I was like, oh, man, what's going on? And this guy was in, we were in the same room. The guy was diagnosed, he had a um, colon cancer. So they removed his part of his intestine. So he was on a, col- a colostomy bag. Mm. And he was next to me and his wife is in there. And, and a friend of mine came to visit me and we were talking and I was giving him, I'm in the hospital bed. And he's asking me advice on how to get back into the gym and work it out. So I'm telling my friend, you need to do this and motivation. I was giving him my story, what you need to do and all this stuff. So after he leaves, the guy next to me goes, hey man, uh, I'm in a bad spot, man. I just heard you talk and he goes, that really, can you help me? Can you talk to me? So he asked me, he was depressed because now he's got a bag, you know? And I go, man, you know what? Listen, I told him the story, you know, listen, you've been dealt the hand. That you you know you can, now you got to play that hand do the best you can, so don't look at it you you have the disease now you already have it it's done so you mm-hmm. can't go back so what are you gonna do you have to move forward you trust me if you don't it's gonna eat at you it's gonna eat you away and it is, you're not gonna be in a good spot so after I was done talking to this gentleman for about 15 20 minutes I, they sent me into physical therapy or whatever later on that day his wife was there I wasn't in the room and then uh, I came back in the room. And the wife goes, she almost had tears in her eyes. She goes, what you did for my husband was amazing. You made him That's feel awesome. like a million bucks. He's, you, made, you changed his attitude from 180 turn just mm-hmm. because you talked to him. And, she, and that right there made me feel like a million bucks. It made me like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. I want to help people. If I could do that, that made me feel so good that I could help somebody just a little bit. I didn't mm-hmm. help him go train or work out. It was just a guy next to me in the hospital bed. And he was just depressed. And that sold me, you know? That's so I'm like, cool. that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. So that's what made me go finish school. I was, a, I was doing nutrition, but I used that as in my, like as my minor. But then I got into the athletic training program at PCC, working with student athletes, injuries. So that's what I wanted to do. I started getting into that. So. That I was sold on that. So that's fast forward to 2021, 2020. I graduated, but the pandemic kind of screwed everything up. So I had to wait till this year. I had to take an extra class. So what I did is I took extra classes to get. So now I got three degrees. You know, I was happy. I go, I can't believe I did it. I pulled it off. And then I made honors. So I just got accepted to Cal Poly Pomona for sports medicine, pre-allied health. So I'm in that field where I could choose either physical therapy, chiropractic, occupational therapy, okay. athletic training, working with athletes. And I like to do that too. I like to work with athletes in the strength and training, strength and conditioning. Mm. So I'm doing all these little things. I'm getting all these little certificates while I'm going to school and I'm taking advantage of going to school and taking these certain classes to get these certifications. 
and that's where I'm at now. So now it's now the pandemic's almost over. Um, I went from zero doing nothing to, to 60. I got a job working for one of the biggest sports medicine facilities in San Gabriel Valley. That's awesome. Um, I do that, and I, I've been personal training. I got a great clientele base right now, and I love it. I love every minute of it. Yes, you know what? I'm tired. So days I work, I'm on, on my feet all day doing therapy. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm happy, man, because I'm helping people, and I really enjoy it. I really do. It might sound like it's a cliche. Dude, no, that's awesome. It, it, I love it, even though if it beats me up. And like I said before, you know, my, my illness or my disability is what drives me. And in a way, if I didn't, if I wasn't sick, maybe I wouldn't be in the same mindset right. that I am now. Um, I think being sick or getting sick, going through all that is what made me a better person, is what made me a better man. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do now. I wanted to help people. I want to get people better, whatever it takes. If it's just motivational speaking, just talking to somebody. Sometimes just talking to somebody could make a world of difference. So coaching, health coaching, um, anything of that sort, that's where I'm into. So that's where I'm at now. So that's that's my story. It's just It's been tough. It's been a long road. But the depression and all that stuff, it comes and goes, but now it's just, it's just, now it's just all that's really gone. I, everyone still gets, I get it. Mm-hmm. You get down. Right. You know, especially I have pain issues all the time, you know, and I have things I have to deal with. I have medications I still have to take all the time. That gets old, mm-hmm. you know, but like I said, you have to, you got to play the hand that you're dealt and play it the best you can. If you got four, if you got a two, four, a seven, and a nine, Play that hand and do your best you can. Yeah, that's all you could do. So that's what I'm doing now. No, uh, dude, I think that's amazing. With uh, wanting to help other people, dude, that that was the reason why I started doing my traumatic brain injury book. Yeah. I, I didn't think I had traumatic brain injuries. Yeah, I thought I was like, oh, I dodged a bullet. My brain's fine, hundred yeah. uh, percent. But I'm gonna write this book because I have other friends that are having brain problems and maybe I can help them. Yeah. And then I realized like, oh shit, it's like my brain is all fucked. And uh, so I, I need to fix it. And But now, but my motivation has been like, okay, I can give other people hope. I can help them heal themselves. Yes. Um, or I could just help, help them deal with, you know, some of these emotions and bring awareness to it. It's like, yeah. and that for me, like that's huge, you know, so I, I completely get it. I think yeah, it's awesome. Exactly what you, that point you just said about just because you wrote that book, those, little, those things, someone out there somewhere is in a bad spot, right? Mm-hmm don't know what to do or don't have the don't have the right research or don't have doesn't done I'm sorry hasn't done the right research or hasn't been told a certain thing or they're in a they're in a closet where they're not looking at books or look they might pick up your book right you know or they they know somebody who read your book about tra- traumatic brain injuries and they get that advice just that little advice could change them like that you know, and you don't just a lot of times you won't get the kudos for it or you won't get it, but mm. guarantee you somebody read it and somebody has helped somebody. I know yeah. for a fact. Yeah, you know? no, that's what that's that's what I'm hoping, man. And, and the thing is, like, even if you only help that one guy, let's say you only help that one guy in the hospital, that's still fucking huge to have an impact on someone else's life. Yes. Uh, I think I think a lot of people take that shit for granted or, or they don't appreciate it or they don't really think about it. Yeah. Um, but no, man, I, I think I think that's you know, if we, if we could 
that's probably our goal on life. Like if you can make other people's lives better, usually I focus on my family. Yes. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to make my kids and my wife, I'm going to make their days a little bit better. Because, dude, when it comes to it, like I think about it every day, like, oh, we're going to die. Yeah. Like, we could die today. Fucking they could die tomorrow, whatever. So like, yep. let's make this shit the best as possible. Let's try to make it a better place. I used to be so destructive and angry and yeah. I was like, I, I don't yeah. got time for that shit anymore. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, you've been you've been through a lot of. I know you went. I remember you were doing stunt work and you were doing and you're doing the ultimate fight. You were doing the. the yeah, I was. And, I was very reckless and destructive. And, yeah. 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 But see, then you learn, you change. You know, as we go older too, especially when you get older, like, um, especially like, you're at a certain age, and all of a sudden, all these bad things are happening to you, or all these things mm-hmm. in your life. Not necessarily they're bad, but a lot of stress, a lot of pressure work um family you're trying to take care of business you got bills to pay all this stuff and then just say you lose your job and then think on top of that just say you get sick i'm telling you health is we all take advantage of it mm-hmm. we all think we're invincible until that day happens yeah and no uh, and as we get older something will happen so you know it might be minute right. it might be something little but something will happen and it depends on how you react to that situation or that injury and how you move forward from that some people don't move forward from it mm-hmm. you know and it could be a little one some people some people's little to me might be a little bit of an injury or a little thing might to them might be catastrophic right you know no and that dude that's one reason when you when you came over well when i knew you were coming over i was thinking about my neck my back my wife and i had been going back and forth on trying to do jiu-jitsu and whether or not we should and this and that and you know bitching about it and i was like it's such a fucking little thing you know and uh I was like, I'm happy that I can walk. I'm happy I could do all these other things. Like, I got to yes. think about all the shit that I can do and not get upset because, you know, maybe I can't do high-level fucking hard training in that sport. Yes. So, uh, this is helpful for me to kind of reframe my mind and be like, okay, yeah, no, let's, let's think about it like this. Um, I want to go into uh, the muscle and fitness deal. Yes. So, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Um, what is it? And also, where can people go to vote on it? And, okay. and when does the voting start? The voting starts on the, the 14th of June. I think the voting is on either Facebook and Instagram. Okay. But I think I could send out an email. I'm, I'm still doing the research on that, how I could send that out because you need votes. So, I got this uh, um, email Stating because you know I have, I have I'm, uh, I'm also a sponsored athlete. Okay. Uh, a company called Phoenix Fit. Um, they're they're a supplement company, vitamins, uh, protein powders, stuff like that. Um, so they had me endorse me, so I get you know I I I, po- I I promote them on my Instagram page, and I get you know I I get a commission mm-hmm. off of stuff like that. Um, that's my endorsement, and then I got some other things. So all these little endorsements that I have. Um, they word gets around or people talk, people send in other people, you know, information. So someone sends something. So I got an email from Muscle and Fitness saying there's a competition. They do it every year. It's called Mr. Health and Fitness. It's it's not a professional mm-hmm. um, bodybuilder or a professional athlete or, you know, common everyday folk who, who work out, who exercise and are committed to it. So... I think they heard my story. Actually, they, I don't think they heard my story, but someone sent them something pertaining to this guy might be the way to go. So mm-hmm. he sent me this email, do this, do that. So they wanted me to send some photos and he wanted me to send in a little summary of me and why I'm into health and fitness, like kind of what I just told you right now, everything yeah. that I've been through. 
but I didn't get into that detail. Just very minute. So they they said it says you're in you you're in the you're in the and then I said I'm in the finalists for this group to be Mr. Health and Fitness. So I'm, they, they, I can win a three page um, editorial in the magazine. That'd be awesome. And well, yeah, and then twenty grand to you know. So they ask you, what would you do with the? You no, know, they send you a series of questions. What would you do with the money? What would you do? Da, 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 da. I said, I'll pay for my school. I would try to help as many people as I can. Twelve and months of your pills. Twelve months of my pills. <laughs> Medications. That's another thing, man. man. That's a, the, with the system, um, with the healthcare system, man. The medication. If that's I didn't crazy. Have, yeah, if I didn't have insurance, mm-hmm. dude, life would be tough, man. Think about that. If one medication. Fifteen hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Think about that. Just that's off the top. That's just so you live. That's not even including your bills. That's not even including gas. That's yeah. not including your eating. So I'm like, wow, you know, it's it's a it's a tough one. You yeah. know, thank God I have my insurance now and I have all that stuff. I wouldn't I, to tell you the truth, dude, I would be in a difficult spot if I didn't have it. You know, so um, so yeah, I got this offer and now they said I'm in the. I'm, I'm at, with the finalists. So um, June 14th, um, I'm going to send out an email. It's going to be on, I believe, the most, what they, I think the most what they want is on Facebook, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to do more detailed work because I haven't really looked into it because I okay. just really found out. And I kind of put it to the wayside because I was like, oh, it's just us, another email. Right. Trying to sell something or trying to, you know, I get those a thousand of those a day. Oh yeah, we got the whatever. So I've been so busy with work, and then I'm getting ready for school in, in August. So I'm just being prepared and trying to get everything done. So then they sent me another one. They said you you're in you're in this thing, and I then I had to do my research. I go, is this real? Oh, it's real. Yeah. So then they sent me videos and to watch. Certain I have a coach that's in there that uh, part of the magazine that is telling me what I need to do and how to do this. So I'm still in that process. Um, but I sent in my, a more detailed summary of what, what I've been through and, and my photos and, uh, they're happy with it. So, you know That's what, awesome. you never know if I don't get it, it is what it is. I just, right. shot, I just, it's a shot in the dark, you know, Hey, it is what it is, but you never know. You never know. And the way I've been going, just working hard. And I, I truly believe that you put the work in, you, you, you put, you get out what you put in mm-hmm. and it goes with everything. If you half-ass it, you're going to get a half-ass response. If you, it, you, you got to do it the right way. And then don't spread yourself too thin. You, I, you don't do 20 things at once. You know, right. like I, I got in that habit too of trying to do, you know, I got school. I, I was trying to do uh, a, like a fitness blog, um, all these things. But if you have all these things that you're doing, you can only give, you, you, you people are not meant for multitasking. Um, so doing too many things, you're giving 20%, 20%, 20%, 20%. Do a couple of things or do one thing, give it a hundred percent, finish that first, mm. and then move on. You know, so that take care of that one thing first, then move on. So that's what I'm trying to do right now. And I have a bad habit of doing too many things at once sometimes. Like I get overwhelmed, like I get all these emails. Um, like I have a I'm gonna have a new fitness app for me, built for me, so I could use it for my clients. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, it's really awesome. But I have to put the work in. You know, like I was starting my my sports medicine business because uh, I do therapy and stuff like that. I'm a rehabilitation therapist for, uh, like I said, one of the biggest sports medicine facilities in San Gabriel Valley, and I love I, I love it. So I wanted to incorporate all that stuff. So I'm trying to do all this stuff. 
But like I said, you can't do it all. You have to, I have to slow down, stop, do this one thing, do this one thing, do this one thing. And that's what I'm, I'm at, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. yeah. Dude, and that's, that's great advice. That's one of my biggest problems. I, I, I jump around, but to, uh, I, but I also think, cause like with uh, Derek the Demon, my puppet, I've been yeah. spending time on him. Last week I was like, no, what? I'm not going to mess with him. I need to focus on writing. But yesterday I spent most of the day like fucking around with him. I was like, ah, it's hard because I, I enjoy it. I was like, you know what? So I realized I'm hurting my writing a little bit, but I'm also fulfilling something here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it is hard because, yeah, dude, I, I spread myself thin too much. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah, but it's not getting but overwhelmed with it. thin is a lot different from, from other people because you're actually an accomplished writer. Mm. You have many books that you've right. published, which is an amazing fact in itself there's only a, a group of people that could say that you know and that's an amazing that's what's really impressive about you mark that you've you've done this you've gone to school you took care of business and you're you know you're doing the things that you love you love writing i mm. think it's pitching i read your books i oh, love thanks, them man. you know so that right there is a, a Come on, man! I, I I can't even come close to that. You know? uh, no, shit, no, nah, dude. And and, that, and that's what's cool. I I, I think we uh, I think we always admire others, but yeah, because honestly, if I had been in your situation, knowing my mindset, I wouldn't have made it through. No way. Yeah. No. Some people, yeah, it's it's just, it was tough, you know, and yeah, it's it, it's a tough thing. I I think I don't I I think you would. Mm -hmm. I know just knowing you, like you would have yeah. pulled it. But I understand what you're saying. Like you don't know. You're like that's a lot of stuff, man. I don't know if I would make it. When you yeah. when you're when you're put in that situation, mm -hmm. it, you, you never know until you're in that situation. I'm gonna tell you the truth. Yeah. You know? And they, it, you know, and everybody's different. You know. But that's why I said I like to, I, I want to help people because some people are in that position and can't get out. So to wrap this up, all right. Let, let's say. Um, so what advice do you have for someone that uh, that is dealing with something fucking that kind of sucks? So what would you what would you tell them if they got just some bad news and they know that they're in for a fucking little uh, bit of a painful journey ahead of them? Difficult times. Attack it straight up. Attack it. If you get this bad news, if you got to just say they give you a diagnosis, those are just a health issue. Don't think about what you can't do anymore. Don't think about Oh man, I can't. You know, what am I? No, no, no. Access the situation and attack it. Go. Okay, I got this. How do I get better from this? What do I need to do? Do your research. Do your research. Do your research. Look it up. Ask people. You got to ask questions. Ask around. Do your research and then fix that problem first. Fix that problem first, especially if it's health. Because if you're not healthy. Nothing else is going to really matter because if you're not healthy enough, you can't do anything else anyways. So you might as well knock that out and take care of that first. And if you have to recess and you have to go back, just say you have to move back home. Mm -hmm. You got to live with your mom or you live with your parents. And, and that's another thing. What's wrong with that? You know, right. what? especially nowadays, especially if your parents are a little bit older. You know what? You're taking care of your parents. I know so many people who are doing that. It's okay. Yeah. I. I it's okay. I. I. I it, it's just one of those things. You gotta you gotta step back, take care of biz. If you have to do that, move back home. If you have to do do what you gotta do. Get your things in order first. Take care of business first, and then move on to the next thing. And yeah. then get back to where you were before. But you gotta start first with your health. Take care of that, and then your priorities change. Then you could go. Okay, now my work. 
okay, what do I got to do with my work? So, yeah, no, you're good. Um, with my work or whatever it is, if it's exercise, whatever it is, then focus on that. And then you could learn to incorporate what you did here with your health and then your 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 exercise or whatever it is. It could mm. be reading, you could write a book, whatever it is. Then you fix that and then you move on to the other thing. Don't don't run away from it because it's never going to go away. Mm. It's never going to go away. It's always going to be there. It could, I'm not just saying it's just health. It could be anything. If you got a problem, you got to face it head on. And if you need to go see help, if you need to go see a doctor, if you need mental, do mental health is a big thing. People oh, always yeah. shy away from mental illness. Everybody has some form of mental illness. Everybody, mm -hmm. PTSD. I had I was on P, I had PTSD when all this happened because it was oh, so yeah. traumatic for me. Um, when it happened, and it happened so fast. Boy, man, that was a nightmare. You know, just the the, the cold sweats and the night. You know, and the night terror sometimes. You know, whoo. Man, but you gotta fix. You gotta when those happen. You gotta fix those problems first, and not shy away from it. And I, I think men especially have that problem of shying away, thinking, "Oh, I'll, I'll get better, or I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll be all right. I'll, 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 be I'll okay. tough it out. I'll tough it out. I won't die. I'll, I'll be okay. I'll be fine. I, oh, nothing's wrong. I'll be fine. I'll, I'll, I'll worry about it tomorrow. Yeah, you keep worrying about it tomorrow, and tomorrow it's gonna stop. And there's not gonna be another tomorrow. Yeah. So you gotta take care of that first thing. Um, now, when the, on the fourteenth, I'll share your uh, the link and everything. But where can people follow you? That way, they can see it themselves. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, uh, Swede from the Mead seventy five. Um, that's my uh, hashtag. Or you can go to Facebook at Christopher Zanderholm. Uh, I'm posted there. It's under Utharda um, Sports Medicine and Dietetics. So Facebook, Christopher Zanderholm, or uh, Instagram, Swede from the Mead seventy five is my hashtag. Or you just look up Christopher Zeno. And then if you do that, I'll follow you back. Or you follow me, and then I'll, I'll connect. And uh, that's how I think that's how the voting is now. But I will let you know okay. exactly how um, the voting process is. If you go to muscleandfitness.com, and it would pop up, Mr. type in Mr. Uh, Health and Fitness, my, uh, my, my, edit, my profile will come up, and then you could vote for me there. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again, dude. I wish you the best with everything with this competition. I appreciate you coming on no, and sharing I, the story. I appreciate you having me come out. I really I really appreciate it, and I hope this helps somebody. I hope somebody out there, if you need help, you can always reach me, man. I'm, I'm, I can, I'll always talk to you. If you need advice with anything, um, I, will, I am more than happy to help. That's cool. That's awesome, man. Uh, I'm not, so uh, contact him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm happy to talk to people too. Uh, yeah. All right. We're going to end this, wrap it up with a short story. This one is from 25 Perfect Days. This short story is narrated by my buddy David Thompson. It is Three Sacred Truths. Chris, thanks so much again for coming on. Thank you and, for having uh, me. I appreciate it. All right, man. Awesome. I appreciate it. Later. Three Sacred Truths, August 12th, 2053. The sun beat down on Caden Hollister's back, the hundred-plus heat absorbed by the black. Pants, shoes, shirt. That's what all the initiates wore. No hats. It was all boys on the sorting line. Four staggered on on each side, Caden at the end. They'd been up there since seven, had only come down for a five-minute lunch. Caden didn't know how much more he could take, 
The smell of curdled milk and runny shit seeped through the toilet paper stuffed in his nose. His mouth was a parched hole sucking in air, trying not to taste it. The trash was bunched up at the start of the conveyor. Caden glanced over the edge into the mouth of the compactor below. He wondered what Fielding felt those last few seconds. The sun bounced off a piece of glass and Caden went back to his game, his right hand the Blackhawk swooping in and grabbing the shard, dropping it down the green hole. Caden shook the double vision. The top of a tin can burnt the left hawk's beak. The right hawk scooped it up and saved the day, circled back to snatch the scrap of aluminum before it disappeared over the edge. Time went by dreadfully slow. Caden never had any idea when it was. He didn't know the temperature, the pollutant count. He didn't know anything. It didn't matter that he was connected. The source had been turned off inside the fenced-in main portion of the camp. It had only been a month since the controller's late-night visit. It seemed like a year. The first week at the camp had been recovery, simply surviving the vaccines. The last three weeks, Caden worked his way up the sorting line, waiting for the day they were going to tell him they knew he was just as guilty as his parents. The pieces of trash were slowing down, further apart. His hawks perched on the ledge, the layer of filth allowing them to withstand the sizzling metal. The last bit of garbage dropped into the compactor. Caden raised his right hand and spoke as loud as he could, his lips cracking. Elder Mason, all finished. A whistle blew and the conveyor stopped. Caden turned around and sat on the walkway, his back to the line. Like all elders, Mason wore red, boots to cap. The 17-year-old got up from the folding chair and left the shade, headed over with the tray of tin cups. Like most elders, Mason was predictable, starting where he always did, down with the little ones. Caden bunched the top of his drenched shirt into his mouth and sucked out the sweat while he reached into his pocket and pulled out three peanuts, a bruised grape, and a bit of burnt meatloaf. He stuffed it into his mouth, two chews, one swallow. Not enough to survive on, but less of the camp food he'd have to eat. He'd already lost 14 pounds and couldn't afford too much more before they started asking questions. There wasn't much to be seen inside the electrified fences. Mountains of trash to the left, concrete encased trash bales piled on the right. On the other side of the fences were three towers, elders in red with plasma rifles so there was nothing to fear. The preacher watching over his flock, ready to eradicate. Caden went back to the concrete blocks and wondered which one Fielding was in, if maybe he'd already been picked up and dumped to the bottom of the sea as foundation for another island. Mason slapped Caden's leg with the back of his hand and told him to grab the tin. The others were sipping their water. Nelson, the bony 16-year-old beside him, could barely hold the cup to his lips. When Mason walked around the line, Caden filled his mouth and swished it around. The water was one of the sweetest things Caden had ever tasted, but he didn't swallow a drop. He put his shirt to his lips and let the water run down his front, blend with the sweat. Even if Bradford hadn't warned him about the dangers, Caden knew better. He saw the blank look on the long-timers, how they moved so slowly. Most of the initiates came from the masses, 
the rest with health index scores too low to be wanted. They'd been in the camp their whole lives. It was all they knew, nothing of the outside. But that wasn't the only thing that made Caden smarter. His parents had thought it'd be a good thing to do, and allowed the surgery that unlocked a portion of his brain, made his memory a trap. He knew too much, but had to pretend like he didn't. Too goddamn smart for his own good. And now he was sitting in filth, with no idea how many more days he could make it. All because of a girl. If she hadn't joined his quest and rescued him from the orc ambush, Caden wouldn't have paid her any attention. But she did save him, looking hot as hell in her dragon-skin bikini, her dripping short sword. She whispered she liked to get close, and told Caden how to follow her. It'd be fun. Caden was connected at a coffee shop with no restrictions. He said why not and locked on to her, went along for the ride. Her face stayed in front of his as she took him through a dozen doors, sight after sight after sight. The scenes became more peaceful, then slowly went dark. The light crept back. Layers of orc slayer melted away, and the girl's true face appeared. Nothing special. Her eyes a dead glaze. The camera panned out, her face slack while some guy pumped in and out between her legs. Can you hear me? She asked without moving her mouth. You like this? Caden couldn't look away from her eyes. He didn't know the words for what he felt. Come on and stay, she said. Twenty dollars a minute. There were two other teenage couples on the couch. One on the floor, pushing and pulling, oil rigs up and down. Something hit Caden's leg, knocked him out of the memory. It was Nelson struggling to his feet. He said, It's time. Mason pressed a button and dumped the trash bin. Unit 7 painted across the side, a reminder they better be thorough. Most of the trash was picked off before it got to Caden. Little scraps here and there flicked into the holes. Caden's mind drifted off, back to the girl who didn't want to be there. He'd asked her why she did it, where she was at. His family had money. Maybe he could help her. The girl gave in and took Caden's hands, her face back to the Slayer's. The first scene was a giant lodge, people picnicking on the lawn. The second was a glimpse of a chapel, the ways cross cutting through the clouds. The last was an unmarked building, white walls, no windows. She took Caden inside, showed him things no one should see. Her sister was in there, with an abomination growing in her womb. Like she'd been on a string, the girl went flying back to the couch. Her eyes still glazed but popping out, her face purple with the guy's forearm crushing her throat. The guy was well above the weight limit, muscles too big for his body, short spiky hair visible when he spun to the camera and told Caden, I know you're there. The conveyor kept rolling, and there it was, a fleck of yellow amidst the grime. Caden's hand shot down and broke off the pencil's tip buried the lead behind his dirt-filled fingernail. He held up his hand and called for Mason. The whistle blew and everything stopped. The metal walkway dug into Caden's knees when he got down and placed the pencil inside Mason's glass container. Mason told Caden good job and returned to a shade, 
sipped the water from his pack. The rest of you give me twenty. The walkway shook as everyone but Caden fell to their chests and got back up, counted each time. When they got back to their spots, Nelson started wheezing, his sunburnt skin the whitest had been. Caden concentrated on the trash, his hawks moving faster, because Nelson was just standing there, hands by his sides. Nelson's eyes rolled back and he fell face first onto the conveyor. Both boys were going into the compactor, unless Caden did something. With one foot braced against the railing and the other on the machine, Caden lifted Nelson off the conveyor and stood him back in his spot. Mason yelled for everyone to get back to work, but Nelson was back to being a zombie, shit dripping off his face. Come on, man, Caden said. You okay? Nelson glared at Caden and nodded. Then he took two steps back and flipped over the rail, landed with a loud crunch. He was looking up, but not at Caden, the angle of his neck all wrong. Mason didn't move from his chair. Hollister, check him. Caden lowered himself over the edge and dropped to the concrete, picked up Nelson's wrist. His pulse is weak, maybe a broken neck. Mason nodded and radioed the infirmary. One headed your way from R.C., he pointed at Ingle, a 17-year-old slob with clumpy brown hair. Help carry him. Head back to your units when you're done. Caden got his arm under Nelson's neck, saw right away it wouldn't stay straight. Ingle used the ladder at the front of the line, took his time walking over. Caden lifted his end. Couldn't believe Nelson was so heavy. Let's go, he's all jacked up. Ingle brought up the legs, held them so Caden carried most of the weight. He shouldn't have fell. Caden figured he'd walked faster backward than Ingle would forward. He led them out of the recycling yard and into the hallway, toward the rest of the main campus. Even though Caden's grip was slipping, it was Ingle who stopped, dropped Nelson's legs the second they were out of Mason's sight. Go ahead, superhero, Ingle said. Fly him to the rescue. Caden kept his voice down, afraid the hallway would echo. Pick him up. He's dying. Ingle shook out his arms and black flakes floated to the floor. You seen his eyes. It's what he wanted. His heart's beating. Don't do this. Caden didn't think before he said, I'll yell. Ingle stood there, crossed his arms. You would, wouldn't you? Caden said to hell with it and hauled Nelson higher on his chest, secured his grip, and dragged him backward. What if it was you? The infirmary wasn't that far. Caden hoped he could do it on his own, or at least get to where the towers could see him if he fell out. Not that they'd do much besides Radio Mason so he could order someone to help Ingle. Ingle stood still, his eyes darting around nervously as Caden came close to stepping from the shadows. Hold on, Ingle said. He caught up with Caden and scooped up Nelson's legs, held them so no one could move. You gotta slow down. Caden nodded and headed out of the shadows, the sun shining bright. The elder in the east tower was turned their way. The concrete campus looked deserted. Everyone was still at work. They turned at the back of housing unit 5, and took the path between it and six. The units were long, 
60 rooms per wing. Three and four were next, one and two right past them. They began the last stretch, passing the building where sterilized girls made uniforms, helmets, ammo belts, and armor. At the end of the path was a wall of green, the open gate just big enough for a golf cart. An elder in red stood on the other side. Caden's arms were on fire, both boys in danger of toppling over. Nelson's heart thudded. We're almost there, Caden said. An initiate Caden had never seen headed to the units. The grease on his arms and face appeared as black as his shirt. The boy barely moved out of the way. When they were close enough to the gate, Caden shouted, One from Arcita Infirmary. The brown-skinned elder said to hold on. He finished patting down another initiate and pushed him through the gate. One look at Nelson and the elder pointed up the road. Better hurry. They walked past the initiates lined against the ivy fence, not one of them offering to help. The road continued another hundred yards. The canines housed way down at the end. All along the left ran the two-story windowless building, its slick white wall impossible to climb. That was the building no one talked about. Caden knew what was in there. After the girl had given him the glimpse, he went digging, found files he never should have seen. It was where all the unsterilized girls were assigned. The building Caden told his dad about. The real start of this nightmare. They passed the last initiate and came to the tunnel between the lab and the infirmary. Caden slowed to fix his grip, felt the soft pull of his connection come to life. On the other side of the tunnel was a street like he had back home, green grass around the picnic tables. To the right was the gym Caden had only heard about, the male elders complex, the pool beside it. The female complex set across the street, the York Slayer's Lodge a short path away. Straight ahead lay the chapel and a glorious mansion, only the best for the anointed. There was a door halfway down the tunnel. Caden jerked his head at it and said, It's closer. Engel asked if he was stupid, nodded at the faint blue light buzzing across the top of the tunnel. The infirmary's front door opened and a voice called the boys over. The young man's red uniform had seven silver stripes on his shoulder, one for each year as an elder. The cold air gave Caden the last burst of energy, got him past the row of monitors, the empty sick bays. A one-way mirror ran along the other wall, a glimpse into the fish tank. Puny kids huddled up in blankets, fighting the vaccines. Most wouldn't make it. Four young men in white coats waited around the steel table. They looked too young to be doctors, but Caden knew if they were connected, had the will, determination, and extra brain capacity, they could learn anything. Caden hoped it would be enough as they heaved Nelson onto the table. The doctor in charge put two fingers to Nelson's throat and flopped his head to the other side. Good job, boys, he told the elder to start up the birds. The elder put one hand on Caden's back, the other on Ingalls, and guided them to the water cooler. Grab a drink and close the gate on your way out. Caden followed Ingle, waited patiently for his turn, jumped at the whopping thump, thump, thump coming from the other side of the wall. 
The elder sat in front of a large screen which showed a row of miniature black helicopters. He opened up a black journal and said, Ready. The doctors had slipped on plastic covers, strapped down each of Nelson's limbs. One scanned the right wrist and said, Peter Nelson, number 470302. The elder said copy and wrote in the journal. Something clicked to Caden's right. Ingle stood on the other side of the closed gate, middle fingers raised. The buzz of the saw drowned out the choppers. The wine was wet as the blade tore through the skin, ate at bone. One doctor held open a bucket, wisps of dry ice floating over the sides. The other removed the heart and set it inside. He checked the clock and called time of death. Another box, another organ. Six altogether, before the doctors ran them outside, loaded them in the helicopters. Caden shook the gate and tried to keep his voice calm. I got locked in. The elder called him an idiot and pressed a button, clicked open the gate. When he got outside, Ingle was gone with the rest of the initiates. It was just the elder sitting on the folding chair, enjoying the shade of his umbrella. Caden stopped for his pat down. One infirmary to Unit 6. He didn't bother getting up, just nodded at Caden. I've heard good things. Keep it up. Caden trudged down the path, thought about the water he'd forgotten, the ragged buzz he never would. He checked in at Unit 6's front desk. He waited for Elder Dawkins to unlock the wing and slide open the door to his room. The room was a quarter the size of the room Caden had back home. Just enough space for the steel bunk bed, toilet sink, and the two-drawer dresser. Bradford was in black shorts and a t-shirt, down on the bottom bunk. The 14-year-old worked the culinary, knew what was safe and what was not. He asked if Caden was okay. Caden said he was and nodded at the toilet. Bradford went to the door and got on his tiptoes to block the window. Caden took a sock from his drawer and sat on the toilet, bent over in case the overhead camera was on. He dangled the sock into the half inch of water over the trap and put the sock to his lips, then sucked down the water. When he had had enough, Caden sat on the bunk and Bradford took a piss, the only way to make the toilet flush and refill. He sat down next to Caden and slid him a rolled up slice of meat. It was gone in two gulps, Caden remembered the lead and dug it out of his fingernail, handed it over. Bradford didn't smile much. Twelve years with away, his billionaire mother dead, the inheritance gone, just like that. But he smiled at the lead. Caden felt a little better with the water and got up to block the window. Bradford ducked beneath the bunk, started sketching on the metal. Caden couldn't see, but knew it was Bradford's mother the gentle strokes, the slow blink, the softness of his cheek. The wing door opened and heels clicked. Caden threw Bradford the damp sock and their door opened. Caden peeked out and saw a spiky-haired disciple in a silver suit, an anointed in white behind him. The muscle-bound disciple hurried down the hall and got in Caden's face. No question he was a killer. Hollister, Caden, step back to the wall. 
Caden considered going for the disciple's plasma pistol. He backed up until his hands touched the warm cement. The disciple ordered Bradford to wait outside. He followed him out of the room. The anointed came in with his white cloak, a black scarf striped silver and red draped over his shoulders. He saw his name was Portelson and told Caden to have a seat. Caden did what he said, but he was thinking of Lafferty, the anointed that awakened Caden with a tap on the shoulder, told him everything was going to be okay a split second before the gunfire. He said Caden didn't have to worry. His parents would never hurt him again. Portelson moved in front of Caden, his sparkling white hands clasped in front of his cloak, the faintest hint of flowers. You've been brought to our attention. Caden waited for the verdict. Truth is, they think you're a little old to be sorting through rubbish. You're smarter than that. It sounded like a trap, so Caden just nodded. Would you agree? I believe I can do whatever's asked of me. Portison laid his hand on Caden's shoulder. You can walk the path of the way, answer the questions truthfully. If Caden turned them down, they wouldn't come back. His voice cracked when he said, I can. Portelson brought forth a white ribbon, laid it on the dresser. Get cleaned up. On his way out the door, he said, report to the tunnel in 15 minutes. Bradford returned and the door slid shut behind him. He pointed at the ribbon, sat down next to Caden and whispered, You think you're ready? The preacher is ruler above all else. I believe that with all my heart. Bradford looked like he might cry. What he does for us, for all the unwanted, just think about it. Caden took off his clothes and threw them down the chute. He said the words so he could believe them. The preacher is willing to sacrifice all to make this world a better place. Bradford wished him good luck, and Caden said the same. Elder Dawkins buzzed Caden through for the minute-long sand blast of a shower, which made his skin red and raw. By the time Caden was dressed and out the front door, the campus was back to being deserted. Everyone tucked away in their rooms waiting for dinner. The sun had dropped enough that the walk to the front gate wasn't so bad. Each step an echo of the preacher's triumphs. There were four female and three male initiates lined up by the tunnel. Caden took his place at the back of the line and blocked out the nervous whispers. The source felt more powerful the connection stronger with each step. The kid in front of Caden told him to watch out. Caden backed off him and said sorry, ran through his prayers and praised the preacher. He noticed the tall brunette at the front of the line, the white ribbon clutched in her hand. The way she leaned forward, she had to be connected. She was staring at the patch of grass at the other end of the tunnel. She was in there somewhere, just a matter of searching. Inside the virtual world, Caden called out the number on the back of her dress until they connected, told her to hold on as he led her down to the blade, to the dirt, life itself. When it was just the two of them, she asked if Caden was ready for the tunnel. He said he hoped so and wished her luck. Everyone stood at attention, ruined the weak connection. A black jeep with two disciples parked at the end of the tunnel. The disciple from earlier strode down the tunnel, the blue light dancing off his silver suit. 
Halfway down, he banged on the door. By the time he got to the initiates, the sound of the whirling blades filled the air. The disciple loved his job, the gleam in his eyes undeniable. Okay, boys and girls, he smiled and said, this is it. Caden took a deep breath and blew it out, asked himself what the hell he was doing. Ladies first, the disciples said, one line across. They did as instructed and stood at the edge of the tunnel, holding hands. Come forth and answer these questions, the disciple said. Does the preacher speak the word of the Lord? He's the voice of God that can't be questioned. The girls entered the tunnel, their professed love and devotion echoing off the wall. Three steps in, the rail-thin blonde on the right gave one twitch, then fell to the floor. The disciple walked backward without a pause. Is the preacher the chosen one, the ruler above all else? A resounding yes filled the tunnel, all three girls continuing forward. The disciple approached the far side. Will you forever follow the way? Offer your body, your blood, your soul. The short girl on the right convulsed for a second, dropped with a thud. The infirmary door opened and doctors dragged her and the blonde inside, the door closing behind them, just as the last two girls reached the end of the tunnel. The disciple in the jeep waved the brunette to get in the back. A live-in for a disciple, the best job she could hope for. The disciple waved the boys forward. It was time to speak the truth. Caden walked inside, blue lights above. He would not disobey. The preacher was his master. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.